Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It me, your host Sammy, and this is part two of the private game episode. I hope you guys liked part one, but the hands here in part two, man, I just think they are like super interesting. Some really interesting hands and spots. Let's get right into the hands. Hand one. It's five five ten with a twenty dollars straddle on the button from our friend Dick, who you might remember from the first episode. He's the loose, aggressive, like overly bluffy guy. So I'm in middle position with seven, nine hearts. I told you guys I never met a suited one gapper that I didn't want to play. So I open a 60 and only our friend Dick on the button plays. He defends his straddle and he calls. So we're at a position. The flop is 120 bucks and we flop pretty well. Jack five, three with two hearts. I have seven, nine hearts. So I flop a flush draw. And this is the kind of flush draw that I want to continue c-betting. It's a pretty innocuous board that should favor my range. I'll have the over pairs. I'll have, you know, sets of jacks, stuff like that, where he won't really have those things. We'll kind of share the pocket threes and pocket fives. We should both have those at the same frequency. So this is an advantage board for me. And with a flush draw and no showdown value to speak of, I want to c-bet this hand. So I c-bet 50 into 120. And of course, he ain't going anywhere. He makes the call. The turn comes a great card. It's the deuce of hearts making us the flush. So jack five, three with two hearts. And then the deuce of hearts on the turn making us the flush with our seven, nine of hearts. And usually I would just continue barreling here, but I decide to check. I decide to check for two reasons. Number one, I think my range wants to check a lot here. Like when I have hands like pocket kings, pocket aces, ace jack, The third flush card is going to kind of slow me down. It's going to slow down a lot of the hands that I'm playing in this manner. And then more importantly, Dick is the kind of guy who, when you show weakness toward him, he tends to go for it. And when I have a hand like this, I want him to go for it against me. So I decide to check and he takes the bait and he bets 175 and a 220. I don't want to spring the trap just yet. I'm hoping for a clean river and he barrels off again. So I check and call. The river comes a great card. Doesn't pair the board. It's not another heart. It's an offsuit nine. So with my seven, nine of hearts on jack five, three, deuce nine with three hearts, I have a flush and I check again. There's 570 in the pot and now he bets 500. And I think in this spot, I consider a check raise, but I just decide there's not very many lower flushes that he can have, right? Because the five, the three, the deuce are all out there. I have the seven and the nine. So really there's not very many lower heart combos that he can have. Certainly he might have a set, but I kind of feel like he would have raised that on the flop. So I just decide to make the call. Uh, It's it's a pretty big bet, right? He's betting 500 into 570. So I just call and he shows a complete air ball. He has a seven offsuit with the ace of hearts. So he floated the flop with fuck all, and then he picked up the nut flush draw on the on the turn, and he missed it on the river, but decided to go for it anyway. And I trapped his ass and took a bunch of money. Now, I was thinking about this later, and could I have made more money by betting the turn, and maybe he raises me there, or check raising the turn, and you know, with the nut flush draw, he'd certainly have to call there. Yeah, I think I probably could have. So I don't think I really maximized my value here but it's kind of easy in retrospect when you know the guy's hand. I think 
trapping somebody like this who's overly aggressive and kind of giving them the rope to hang themselves is generally the best policy. I did it here and won a nice pot off my friend Dick. So thanks, Dick. Thanks for the chips. All right. That's hand one. Let's move on to hand two. All right, hand two. This loose action-y lady opens from early position to 40. There's two middle position collars, and then I'm on the button, and I look down at black threes. I love that. I'm calling the 40, especially on the button. We go four ways to a flop, and my friends, we flop fucking quadzilla. Hot damn, eight, three, three with two diamonds. We have pocket threes. Just flop the stone cold nuts. Love to see it. There's 160 in the pot, and now the loose lady bets 130 into 160. Both of the two players in middle position fold, and I think most players would just call here, but not me, my friends, not here. When this lady bets into three callers and she bets, she she bets almost pot, she's got like an overpair a lot of the time, or like two big diamonds, king, queen of diamonds, ace, queen of diamonds, shit like that. So I decide I'm just going to raise right here. The other factor is we're super deep. We're both like 4K deep or, you know, 4,500 deep, something like that. And the only way to get all that money in is to start building a pot right here and right now. So she bets 130, two folds. I raise to 330. And now something miraculous happens. She three bets the flop to 830. She bets 130, I raise to 330, she re-raises to 830. Hot fucking damn. I think at this point, it's a good idea to just call because she's going to have to act first on the turn. And so, you know, when she bets out, I can just put in a big raise and and almost get her pot stuck. I don't want to just like go ham right now because the gig will almost be up. Like I almost always have to have like trips or better. So I decide to just make the call and play the rest of the pot in position. There's about 1.8K in the pot at this point, and she has about 3.6K behind. And the turn comes, what I think is kind of a shitty card, it's the 10 of diamonds putting a third diamond on board. So 8-3-3 with two diamonds on the flop, we flop quads with our pocket threes, and then the 10 of diamonds on the turn. And now we get some more bad news, she checks. And so I think when all this happens, I mean, you know, sometimes she's trapping with the nut flush, you know, ace king, ace queen of diamonds, something like that. But her overpairs really dislike this card a whole lot. That being said, she's got about 3.6K behind and I want to go for all of it. Greed is good, my friends. And the only way that you are going to make a shitload of money in this game is by taking fat stacks. And the only way you're going to do that is by betting somewhat big. So I bet 900 into 1.8K, about half pot. And she thinks about it and she thinks about it. And I'm like, please put some more money in, lady, please. And she doesn't do it. She folds her hand and she's just like, oh, that turn card had to come. That turn card had to come. And it's just like, she has no idea how lucky she just got. Later, she told me she had pocket jacks. So first off, obviously, it's completely ludicrous for her to three bet the flop with jacks. Uh, 
At least I wouldn't do it. Maybe it's not totally ludicrous, but I don't think it's a great play. But God damn it. Why couldn't that turn card just been an offsuit five or an offsuit six or an offsuit eight, an offsuit nine, like whatever, anything but a goddamn diamond. You know what would have been great? A fucking jack. But no, a diamond came and she got away from her hand and I just can't stop staring at her 3.6K stack and thinking, man, those chips would have looked a whole lot better in my stack. So obviously I got really lucky flopping quads, but I feel so unlucky that this card came on the turn and killed my action. I fucking hate it. In retrospect, I don't love my sizing on the street. I think 900 is probably too big of a bet. This is obviously a card that her range doesn't like. Her overpairs fucking hate this card. So I need to bet smaller to let them continue in the hand. If she did have the nut flush, she's going to check raise me anyway. So I don't really need to make a big bet here. I think that I got a little bit greedy. I looked at her big ass stack and I was like, yo, how do I get all of this? Instead of kind of thinking through the hand and you know, just trying to make the max amount of money that I thought her range would provide. So I definitely got a little unlucky, but I also got a little bit overzealous and uh, my sizing was not good. And, and in these spots, sometimes you're like, man, I got so unlucky with this card, but you also got to look inward and say, hey, what did I fuck up? And you know, I think I kind of fucked this up a little bit. So fire me into the goddamn sun. Uh, so very tilting. And that leads us into hand three, which is a hand against this same lady. The bad effects of not stacking her in this hand, or at least taking more money from her, snowball into, into a bigger problem in hand three. Stay tuned for it. All right, hand three. This is also an unstraddled hand. I opened a $30 in early position with pocket fours. Now there's a regular behind me. He's a guy I've played with a couple times in the local card rooms. He's a pretty decent player. You know, not amazing, but he's definitely one of the better players there. He's right behind me and he three bets to 100. It folds around to the loose action-y lady, the, the one from the previous hand in the small blind and she cold calls the 100. Our loose aggressive friend Dick also cold calls the 100. He's in the big blind. And it gets to me, and obviously it's just 70 more to play a nice big pot with these fuck sticks. So I'm obviously calling, and I do. And we flop a set. We flop another set. We freaking love it. Ace, nine, four, rainbow. The loose action-y lady checks. The laggy Mr. Dick checks. I check to the three better. And he disappoints me by checking back. I hate it. The turn comes in offsuit eight. So ace, nine, four, rainbow on the flop, and eight on the turn. We have pocket fours. And the loose lady now leads for 250. Dick calls the 250 and it gets to me. And I think I can definitely raise here. I think bottom set is a very strong hand here, but I'm actually a little weirded out. And the reason I'm a little weirded out is because when both Dick and the loose lady cold call a three bet, a lot of their range is suited broadways and pocket pairs. And distinctly, there are two pocket pairs that both of them would cold call three bets with on this on this board, nines and eights. So I'm actually a little wary that somebody has me overset it. These two players could also have a decent amount of aces in their range, but if I raise here, 
they probably just fold a one pair type of hand. So I decide to play it a little bit cautiously slash trappy, and I just call the 250. Now the three better behind me folds, and the three of us are going to a river, and there's 1150 bucks in the pot, and the river comes another ace, pairing the top card. So ace, nine, four on the flop, eight on the turn, ace on the river. So I make the under full. The loose lady, 100. And Dick, our loose aggressive friend, decides to call the 600. And when the loose lady first bet the 600, I was like, okay, this is a really thin spot. This is a tough spot between calling and raising. Because certainly I can get a lot of value from Ace-X, which is certainly a hand that she could have. But when Dick also calls the 600 with another player left behind him, I think he's almost always got an ace, which means the chances of the loose action lady also having an ace are pretty low. Meanwhile, I'm still a little wigged out by the possibility that she could have nines or eights. And so when Dick also calls the 600, I decide I'm not going to raise here. And I put in the 600 for the call and I lose. The loose action lady has ace four. So she two outed me on the river. She flopped top and bottom pair while I had bottom set and she makes a full house on the river. So I'm pretty happy with my call here on the river, not even trying to be results oriented, but I think my thinking through the hand was, was pretty lucid. I think I could have absolutely raised the turn, but I think my reasoning for not doing so, maybe it was a little nitty, but in the end, I think it was at least somewhat solid reasoning. And I think I played this hand disciplined in a way where I didn't go broke. We're like 4K deep effective. So to lose the minimum when you get full housed over full housed, that feels pretty good. And even though I got kind of unlucky in this hand, it could have been a whole lot worse. So I, I thought there were just some really interesting decision points in this hand. Again, I'm glad I didn't lose more, but certainly there's some frustration in the last two hands from having this lady's 4K in my sights and not being able to get it. And then going into this hand and having her two out me on the river for a fucking $3,000 pot. I hate it. All right. That's hand three. Let's move on to hand four. All right, hand four. This hand, there is a new player in the game, and it's his very first hand. He's in the big blind. He's a young, sharp-looking Asian dude. Uh, I've never met him before, but he knows a lot of people at the game. Obviously, he's, he's kind of a regular there. It folds around to me on the button, and I look down at ace-jack offsuit, and I open a 30. There is a weak passive fish. You guys might remember him from the first episode. He's the guy that folded ace queen to me on ace jack eight four when I shoved, you know, his last 270 into a 170 pot and he folds ace queen. So I definitely have this guy pegged as a loose passive and a guy that will not put in a lot of money, even with very good hands. He'll kind of shy away and, and lean toward folding. So that all comes into play in this hand. I have ace-jack offsuit on the button. I open a 30. The weak passive fish in the small blind calls a 30. And now the big blind, the Asian dude who it's his very first hand, he now squeezes to 140. And I don't know that I give this guy a lot of credit. You know, it's his very first hand. And I mean, 
Nobody ever gives you credit for having a good hand in the first hand. And I have a pretty decent hand myself. I have ace jack and I'm on the button. So I decide to call and the weak passive fish also calls. And we go three ways to a flop in a three bet pot. And the flop is king jack five rainbow. So I have ace jack offsuit. I flop middle pair top kicker. The small blind leads with a check. And now the big blind, who originally squeezed, bets 175 into 420. With a hand as strong as second pair and good kicker, I'm definitely not folding the hand, so I make the call. And the small blind, the the weak passive fish, he also check calls. So I think when he check calls, he has a king a lot of the time here. The turn comes an innocuous card, an offsuit four. So king jack five on the flop, offsuit four, I have ace jack. The small blind checks. Now the dude in the big blind who had been showing all the aggression, he slows down and checks. And I decide to check back. I have a hand with okay showdown value. I don't think this is a great spot to turn it into a bluff. So I just check back and hope to get to showdown cheaply. The river comes an interesting card. It comes an offsuit queen. So king jack five, four, and then a queen on the river. The small blind now leads out for 300, leaving himself about 700 behind. The big blind, who had been showing all the aggression, he now just folds really quickly, so obviously he had fuck all. And it gets to me, and obviously I'm not calling with third pair. Third pair is never good here. But I do actually have what I think is a fairly good bluffing candidate. I block sets of jacks, I block queen jack, I block king jack, And I also block the nut straight with ace-10. Furthermore, I I have a guy who has shown to be able to fold like fairly strong hands. And I think it makes all the sense in the world that I could have a hand here like ace-10. Or, I mean, the guy's not a great hand reader, but maybe I have pocket jacks or pocket queens, something like that. You know, it's one of those things where I don't think those hands make a ton of sense, but This guy's a rube, so who the fuck knows what kind of story he's going to tell himself. So even though I think this guy's got at least a king, sometimes he might even have something like two pair. I just think, buddy, I'm putting the screws to your ass. And with all these elements in play, I go for the all-in bluff shove raise on the river. I raise to a thousand effective, and he turns green around the gills. And he starts shuffling his cards and putting his hand on his forehead and you know, rubbing his temples. And I'm like, fold, buddy, fold, buddy, fold. Come on, dude. And after about a minute of torture, of self-torture, really, the guy ends up putting in the money. God damn it. He puts in the money and I tell him, nice call, buddy. And he flips over king queen for top two pair. And he scoops the pot and I ship him a bunch of chips. I fucking hate it. Did I play this hand good? Ah, even though he called my ass, I don't mind it. I think maybe one of the issues here is that the guy probably does have two pair. Like the more I think about it, I just don't think he's got a lot of ace king. You know, I don't think he's betting king 10 on the river. So I really am banking on him folding a pretty good hand here. Like when he bets out on the river, He probably asked to have at least two pair. I wasn't thinking that lucidly through it at the time. But like I said, this guy is shown to be able to fold big hands. And so I thought I might be able to get him off a hand as as strong as that. And 
you know, I, I just didn't think that he would bet 300, like only 300 into a pot of 825 if he had the straight. And besides, I blocked the straight. So I just thought it was very credible that I could rep it. And, uh, you know, I had the blocker and, yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty thin spot. And as I always say, I'm not necessarily trying to get people to fold really strong hands. I'm more trying to get them to fold medium strength hands and I just thought this guy had a medium strength hand, but maybe one of the problems is that when he has top two pair, even though when I raise all in on the river, it's only a bluff catcher. He still thinks it's a really strong hand because he's a fishy recreational. You know, he doesn't understand that I would never be raising the river with worse for value. If I have value, I have him beat and he can only beat bluffs and what bluffs would I have? And you know, that that's kind of beyond the way he thinks. So Maybe it was a little uh, over optimistic of a bluff, but you know, man, I, I like it. And, you know, I just told him nice hand, it's a bluff and, and uh, you know, got some advertisement that way. And, you know, and, and I just think it's very rare that people like bluff raise the river, especially for really big amounts, even in games like this. So I, I thought it was a creative spot. Unfortunately, it didn't work this time, but as I'm fond of saying, sometimes gunfighters get shot. All right, that's going to do it, you guys. I'm sure you're wondering how I finished up in this game. Uh, I ended up walking out with about a 3.3K profit overall, which is really great and feels good. But man, there were there were just a couple of those hands, especially hand two and three here, the one where I flopped quads and then, and then the one where I flopped bottom set and the chick two outed me on the river. You know, if a couple of things had gone a little bit different, I think I could have walked out there with, a much, much bigger win, you know? And then obviously I just bluffed off, you know, fucking another thousand in this hand and, you know, douche the set of threes. So there were obviously some hands that I didn't share that I played kind of well and, and some spots where I did run good. So it's not all regret and run bad and shit like that, but you know, could have been a bigger session if things had broken a little bigger, but you know what? We are not going to complain about it. You know, it was a great game. I'm super happy. I went and, uh, got in pretty good with the people there and, and, and was told, yeah, yeah, you're definitely in, you'll be invited back. Like, you know, whenever this thing runs, we'll let you know, et cetera. So I'm really excited to make this game a game that I play in regularly. And, you know, it's really cool to have access to kind of a, a higher stakes game. That's not too far away. That's honestly way cooler than being in a casino anyway. So hopefully most of my action comes from this game moving forward. And, uh, I will share the adventures with you guys on this podcast. As always, I appreciate you guys so much tuning in. If you have a quick minute, give me some stars. If you like the podcast and your favorite podcast app, whatever you're listening to this on. And if you're so inclined and have a few free minutes, it would really be helpful if you left me a review. With all that said, my friends, I will talk to you next week. Until then, play good and run pure.